This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Medicine and Health with Dr. Paul Anderson. This is a show about opening up the often mysterious world of how doctors think. The goal? To empower the listener to gain access to the best health care possible. Good day and welcome to Medicine Health with Dr. Paul Anderson. That's me, I'm Dr. Paul. And today we're going to talk about... uh, confusion. I know no one's experienced that at all. Um, So if you're listening sometime in the far future, uh, you know, this may be out of context, but for the year 2020, uh, I think that's been the uh, one of the watchwords for the year 2020 is confusion. And more specifically, what I wanted to talk about, because it's got a lot of questions about this, and I think it's a really good discussion topic, uh, anyway, and hopefully it won't get me in too much trouble because uh, I'm already in enough trouble. But um, it's specifically around uh, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2 disease, and uh, the confusing messages that we get. Especially, uh, you know, I think it's not a uh, mi- mystery to people that some of the, or you know, a lot of the confusion probably is driven by the fact that uh, as opposed to not that long ago, we have multiple outlets for really crowdsourced news and information, which is actually very good in many ways, but also uh, it, uh, it it logarithmically increases the amount of information that we get hit with, whether it's uh, from uh, social media sites like Facebook or Instagram or uh, Twitter uh, or other sites or private groups. Um, There are a lot of, you know, subgroups that people in their profession have, and a lot of times there'll be discussion around particular topics in those groups. And, you know, so that's a whole other uh, way to get information, you know, and those are, you know, listservs and uh, email groups and, you know, private, uh, you know, closed chat groups and all of that sort of thing. And then, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of other means by which people transmit information. And if you think back to really not that long ago, um, the the first big step towards this was uh, uh, before social media, before much social media really uh, was email. And if uh, we all probably who were you know around then and had email accounts, remember getting all sorts of group. Uh, and, and mass emails about, you know, this idea or that idea. And uh, and that was really quite a change because you go back to before email was, you know, common in, in the population, you either read uh, a newspaper uh, or, you know, watch the news or listen to the news. Uh, and there weren't a lot of other, or, or talk to somebody face to face or on the phone. There wasn't a lot of other ways to get information. You know, maybe someone wrote letters too. And you know, before email, uh, that was another mass way to get information out. Was send a bunch of letters out, you know, during a uh, during political campaign or for commercial purposes or whatever. We all probably remember that stuff. And then if you go back, you know, not long before that, it was uh, it was the written news and and radio and 
before that. It was written news and talking to people. So as a people, we've had this huge uh, escalation and evolution in the uh, ability for information to come to us. Now, um, I think that the big picture of that, this massive information, is overall a good thing because there's a lot of things that then you don't have to have filtered through other sources. And as we've seen over time, other sources that, that decide what to tell you about news or about a piece of information or whatever, if, if you know, you're in charge of that source, you can either be very open and well-rounded or you can be very focused and only tell you know the piece of the puzzle that you want to tell and so during uh you know during times of unrest or or uh, other issues that went on uh, you know sometimes that was one of the problems was the, the the actual filtering of you know what you were getting and of course we have that now as well well now we've got almost the opposite problem where we have too much information uh, really, if you uh, if you get you know into it, uh, which is not probably healthy for you, but if you get into it, uh, what'll happen is you, you you just wind up deluged with all of this data and opinions and facts that seem to be contradictory, and um, you end up either frustrated or angry or confused and just not sure what to believe. So what I want to talk about, because I think for, uh, you know, it is what it is really for better or worse, uh, COVID as a pandemic uh, or whatever we're going to classify it eventually um, has been a hallmark of this evolution of information. And it's really been a touch point for, the ability for a mass of information that was previously never considered for the most part coming from really a number of different points of view to hit you, uh, the public, and, um, you know, be not the most comforting, not the most uh, stable, not the most uh, <laughs> sanity-inducing, because uh, you will see, for example, uh, you know, you'll you'll have posts uh, and, and even news programs and, and, uh, and you can go to things like uh, even with, you know, the CDC updates or the um, uh, updates, you know, from the government or whatever. And you'll see even within one group like the CDC or like, you know, government update or, or, uh, or maybe a particular news uh, outlet or whatever. And, and you'll see that there's, you know, one bit of information here and then a little bit later they seem to be contradicting themselves and that happens naturally but it's it's happening like every second with uh with covid and so then you get to the point of particular topics and uh for example and this is like today's uh program this 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 topic uh you know so to speak wrote itself it's it's just straight from what we're all experiencing uh and i i got so many people asking me about, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I thought, well, let's just do a, let's just do a radio show podcast about it. But um, in the case of COVID, you'll get, um, you know, very strong opinion about something, you know, like we'll, we'll mention masks today, the face masks and stuff. 
uh, you get really strong opinions that seem way over here and really strong opinions that seem way over here. And, and in some cases, you'll look and say, you know, both groups or experts or whatever that are giving these opinions, you know, I've known them in the past to be pretty reasonable, you know, groups or people or whatever they are. Um, and uh, yet, how can there be two completely opposite ideas about, you know, this one topic? Like, uh, could there be some overlap for me to help me out here or whatever? Uh, and, and then it's not help because you get different messages from, you know, government experts and you get different messages, you know, different places the more you look. And it is one of those things where, you know, the the more you know, the less you seem to know. Somebody uh, posted that, you know, this was going to be the topic and that was what somebody uh, uh, commented a friend of mine was yeah the more you know the less you know which is always true the more that you learn the more you more you realize there's a lot more subtlety and texture to the information you're trying to marshal but the problem is for uh, everybody uh, you know and it, you know certainly if you're a researcher or you're you know that's your job is to is to sort these things out you understand that there's all these wild you know ideas and polarized things and your your job is to try and keep at it till you see if there's a connecting thread for seemingly opposite ideas or you prove or disprove something or whatever. But for the average person, they got stuff to do. You, you have, uh, you, hopefully you have a job. A lot of people have lost their jobs, but hopefully you have a job. So you've got work to do. You got stuff, you know, to in, uh, involve yourself in, you have uh, your you know family and your social life and your health. And you, you don't need to become uh, a high level researcher to try and sort things out. But one of the things that I've seen, and, and we saw it before with certain other topics, you know, that would come up, uh, but it was more uh, segregated to, to groups of people, I think, in that case. But with COVID, because uh, it, currently it's being called a pandemic, so it's, you know, everywhere all over the world, it affects everybody. We get these wildly different ideas about, you know, uh, cases or deaths or you know all everything in between as far as statistics and then we get different statistics from every outlet but because it affects everybody in one level or another you know unless for your sanity you've decided I'm just gonna kind of go on autopilot and do what I do um, you don't have time to sit down and you know maybe dive in for days and days and days and like read all of this research about a topic you know like uh like antibodies or like masks or like uh, uh other infections or 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 you know the age distribution of the disease or whatever it is so what i was uh thinking about when i came up with the idea for the program and about an hour ago as I was doing kind of the final prep for the program, I, I had some second thoughts about uh, going through this because it brings up a lot of things. But what I wanted to do was from the point of view of uh, somebody who uh, works and is involved in the world of medicine and scientific research and writing and all of that sort of stuff, to try and take some uh concepts from the history that i have with other topics that may may have been more controversial at one time less controversial later uh maybe more polarizing versus less or whatever and see if i couldn't just use that experience to lend a little bit of uh information just overview 
towards a way to think about things when they seem just very, very disjointed and very polarizing. Now, I don't, <clears throat> I normally don't want to be in the position of trying to sound like I'm trying to tell you what the ultimate truth is or give you answers. That's, that's not usually the role that I take. Um, more, I would like to be informative. And I think that uh, my goal here is not to settle your distractions or discussions or thoughts around any of these um, topics that we're going to talk about, but more to maybe talk through some of the ones that are more hot buttons and more in the news, et cetera, and kind of give uh, some context to the ideas that seem to be opposing polarizing, et cetera. And then uh, if it all works out, what I would like to do is, uh, you know, kind of end the program up with uh, how is it, uh, you know, what process is it that I use to try and stay sane when I'm looking at all this stuff and uh, trying to sort through um, the, you know, all of the, the little pieces to make a, you know, a bigger decision, like should I, you know, do this or that uh, to protect myself or my family, et cetera. So I think it's important um, to, to know that when you get something that affects really everybody in the world to one degree or another, and, you know, we all, I, I think, you know, at this point, many people know people uh, who have either tested positive uh, for COVID-19, uh, SARS-CoV-2, or uh, maybe who have passed away from it, or uh, somewhere in the middle have had the disease and are still recovering, having a rough go of it. Uh, we talked about that, you know, in a, in a number of the programs that the um, people uh, who weather uh, the SARS-CoV-2 infection, um, a lot of them have a lot of, you know, after effects that they have to work through, kind of like you do after influenza, only in a worse way. And so there's a lot of pain and hurting and suffering going on. So you don't want to minimize any of that. Certainly, if you've lost a loved one, you know, I know a number of people at this point uh, who uh, have lost, you know, lost loved ones uh, to complications from COVID-19 uh, disease. And so, you know, it's a real, real thing. So it's, it's a high stakes thing. It's something everyone's, you know, got going on, thinking about, et cetera. And um, so when things come up around it, whether it's a potential treatment, whether it's um, a preventive strategy, whether it's uh, what we think about the reason it's so uneven in the way that it uh, distributes in the population and you get some people that you might expect you know a sicker older person we we've been sort of trained through the media to expect they might get sick uh, but then you get, uh, otherwise healthy younger people get really sick and some of them die and it's like that, that doesn't make sense well that variety and that ra seeming randomness of the disease gives you an added level of perceived and real danger because, and, and this is what raises the stakes for the discussions that go on. So when you see people uh, either literally in person yelling at each other about a topic like 
social distancing or masks or whatever, or more commonly, you see them on a social media battle going back and forth about the same topic. Part of that is driven by the fact that the people giving the information that seems to be contradictory are responding to this very high level and highly seemingly random sort of danger in your life. But then also the people who are reading it and taking it in tend for whatever you know reasons, a million reasons, because we're human, to gravitate maybe to one side of the argument or the other. And it becomes a really important thing because you know we're all wondering about things but it also becomes very confusing because you you may have friends who you've always kind of agreed with most things on and suddenly they're really on another side of the fence on something uh you know from from where you are uh or you may have you know uh uh, you know, health experts or, well, well, not as we call it, influencers or whatever, uh, you know, who you really kind of always, yeah, that seems pretty legit. That's a pretty good idea. And then all of a sudden, you know, they've, they've picked a side on something and it's like, you know, a big part of the people who follow them are like, well, I'm not sure that makes sense to me. And I've seen this going on. And I, I want to make sure that I, I say this because I said it kind of quickly going through, but I want to say something about the the underlying psychology of this particular disease pandemic that is different from the average uh, battles that go on, you know, in person or on social media or in the news about topics. We, we're used to polarization. We're used to, you know, at least two political parties or whatever that we're dealing with. And we're used to people who are uh, very, you know, fiscally conservative versus, uh, versus more liberal or socially conservative versus liberal or whatever. We, have, we live in the world of, you know, dichotomies. And, uh, and, and most of the time those things are, they might, you know, certainly be polarizing, but they're things we come to live with and we, we accept that there's going to be party A and party B, and we're going to, you know, have some people want social things done this way or this way or, you know, whatever it is. That's just the way humans are. When it comes to something, though, and this is where the, the psychology and your nervous system start to interact, that kicks it up a whole bunch of notches as far as intensity, is you now have something that you have been told and, you know, what you believe is what you believe. I'm just going to kind of say what I see people being told. Uh, but you have been told, well, um, this is a pandemic. It's around the world. It's very deadly to some people, not as deadly to other people. Uh, it can kill you, though. Or if it doesn't kill you, it can make you sick and maybe have long-lasting effects afterwards. None of this is good news, right? And so this is not like, well, it's a bad year for influenza or it's, you know, a lot of people uh, have pneumonia or tuberculosis or whatever. And I don't mean that those are not, those are major diseases and people die from them. But the psychology of it, because it's being, you know, how it's being portrayed as a pandemic, it's everywhere in the world and, and we see people dying from it or being very sick is this is a higher level threat. And regardless of, and you know, there's, there's research that's emerging all of the time. And so, as I always say on every program, you know, it's really dumb to call 
the outcome of a ball game in the first 10 minutes of the ball game. Um, it, that's what we're doing now. If we make long, long ranging predictions about what this is or what it's going to be. And so we have this emerging amount of science that just keeps turning on and coming out. And so literally you can have things that may have looked true a month or two or three ago that now there's more evidence that says maybe that's not true, right? So you have two things colliding in your brain, one being this is a danger, there is a threat. And so the threat perception part of your brain and your nervous system kick in, and they're kicked in all the time. So now you are, and you can go back and look at old podcasts about the nervous system and stress and stuff. We get into this a little bit more, but now what you're dealing with is a constant perceived threat that you now don't consciously think about much, but your brain is perceiving a threat consistently every day. And so your nervous system is responding as if you are now threatened by an outside uh, attacker uh, such as, you know, a tiger or a bear or something bad. It goes to that primal part of our nervous system. So we are acutely tuned to things around that threat. So when, when we get information about the threat, we now have uh, a, a higher level of response to that information. Well, the other thing that happens then, of course, is you don't have a visual threat. You, you have representations, but you, you don't have a bear. You don't have a person with a knife. You don't have a person shooting at you. You have this amorphous thing that we're calling a pandemic and a virus, which creates a disease that can either make you sick or kill you. And you can't see it. And so that makes it worse. That makes the threat problem worse for your nervous system because your nervous system doesn't care. The threat part of your nervous system doesn't care whether it's a perceived threat uh, or a bear or whatever, uh, it's a big deal. So the nervous system keeps ratcheting up a part of your brain to be vigilant about this. So then the next news story that comes along and you read something, anything that relates to this, and it, it can take you from zero to 100 right away because your uh, conscious part of your brain is set that as soon as you see something that might help you with the threat, you key in on it, right? So this is one of the reasons psychologically and, and neuroemotionally why people will get, you know, they just take it way up. And so then, then what happens is you start having discussions about uh, things that aren't at the base of the problem being discussed. You get emotional and neuroemotionally charged discussions that take it to a whole other level. And while this is disturbing to watch for a lot of people and it's frustrating and confusing and just seems like, oh my gosh, you know, they're, they're really like, they went four steps beyond. The basis of it is the way that humans are wired. And, and so this hypervigilance towards ideas around the threat, in this case, COVID-19, and uh, our hypervigilance towards not wanting this threat to harm us collide. And so then you get things, and I'll just use, I, I could use any example in, uh, of many that we'll mention here, uh, but, but one that's really common that you see, but it's like a ping pong ball going back and forth all the time, uh, is the use of masks uh, for you know, 
detection, prevention, et cetera. Many, many places, most places, I think, uh, probably have mass mandates where if you're in public, you know, you have to wear one if you're near people, et cetera. Um, well, okay, that's sort of a, that's sort of on its face at the base of the idea of I put a mask on or I don't. That's a pretty linear discussion and decision. And it's a fairly, you know, dispassionate sort of, you know, okay, I do it or I don't, you know, it's, it's really on the same level of, did I put pants on today or not? Am I going to wear shoes? Okay. What happens though, because this has not been part of our consciousness previously, unless you work, you know, in a, in a lab or in healthcare or, or in a profession where you're doing something toxic and you have to wear a mask, most people don't think about masks. So now you have the mass of people being told a couple of different ideas or 10 uh, different ideas about what masks do, whether they're good or not. And suddenly it's not about masks. It's about this part of our nervous system that it's triggered on and it attaches to the conscious part of our brain that says, oh, this is about that bad thing that might kill me. I, I, this becomes then, whoom, your, your autonomic nervous system and your sympathetic side of your autonomic nervous system goes into a little bit or a lot of fight or flight around it. So this is why then you start to see discussions that are beyond the sort of dispassionate idea of, you know, wear a mask or don't wear a mask or whatever. And it goes to the next level of, uh, if you don't wear a mask, you hate all of humanity and you want everyone to die, something like that, you know, or some version of that, uh, or some lesser version. Or if you do wear a mask, that's just stupid and you should, you know, you should think about blah, blah, blah. You know, so there's just, there's these two opposing forces going on. And um, it seems like, gee, that escalated, you know, like those me, that escalated rather quickly uh, from, you know, why don't we wear a mask or not wear a mask uh, to, you know, you hate humanity and you want everyone to die or whatever. And so I bring this up because that's at the base of, uh, I'm going to mention a list of things just that I, you know, I kept track for, you don't need long, you could be 20 minutes on social media or the news, but I kept track for a few days of just the, the, the hot button things I see and, you know, that I've read and all this stuff and I'll get into them. But, but I wanted to really get into that underlying um, uh, neurobiology of the way that humans work and why are these things such a big deal? Well, they become such a big deal because it is going directly to your threat center and it is a real threat to have any disease around you that could kill you, okay? Uh, it's Everybody knows somebody who has died from some disease. The difference psychologically with a pandemic in this particular one with COVID-19 and the ability of information to be cross-pollinated around the world in anybody can say anything land is suddenly now we have this unknown, unseeable attacker that may be really bad or not really bad, but you don't know till you get it, whether you're going to be one of those people that it's real bad and kills you or you're really sick for a long time or not. You just don't know till you get it. That makes it a random attacker. And that is the most terrifying thing in the world. Um, it is not desired ever to have any attacker. 
okay? But your nervous system reacts differently and your brain and your consciousness react differently if you have one attacker that you know a lot about that is coming at you at a well-defined time. It still may not end up well. And your nervous system certainly will go into sympathetic overdrive to deal with the attacker. But that is a known, and it's bad, but it is far worse if you have random attack that you don't know are coming, or you don't know when they're coming, but you do know that they are coming. Okay? That's what a viral pandemic is. Because now, and, and, and I can't overstate enough this randomness of the virus and the way that it seems to go through people. And so you see all of these, you know, case reports where um, people who, who we, you know, they're not in the right age group, but they get sick or they die or they have all these problems. And so it's like, well, you know, if there was never any of that information, it'd be easier to say, well, okay, I, if I'm real sick to start with, I'm not a great candidate to get this virus. Or if I'm over 70 years old, I'm not a great candidate to get this virus, whatever it is, right? But we have that. But then we also have this just random nature of I could get it and I'm totally healthy and I might be that person with the wrong genomics and whatever else and boom, I'm, you know, I'm dead or I'm real sick. And that happens. Think about it as far as, uh, you know, uh, what do people, this is a horrible topic, but this is exactly the same psychology, what do people who want to terrorize and torture another human do? Well, one way is a frontal attack with a known person or force and just get it over with and, you know, and, and you're harmed or dead or whatever. That's bad enough, okay. But if you really want to terrorize people, what you do is you have them not able to separate them from you, the terrorist uh, agent, and uh, you have random and varied attacks on them that they don't know when they're, they know they're coming, they don't know when they're coming. That is a far higher level of terror. And the, the autonomic nervous system and the threat centers never, never, never settle down because there's not maybe an end to it, right? That is what happens with this sort of thing. And a viral pandemic is the poster child for that because you can't see it. You can't get away from it. Remember, you can't separate yourself from it. Big deal. And you've got this varied, seemingly random attacker coming at you, being this virus that may totally not be a problem for one person and the next person who looks exactly like them, it kills them. And the next person who looks exactly like those two people, they get real sick, they recover, but it takes them forever to get over it, right? So that's the, in a sense, ultimate attacker, but it's also like the ultimate in triggering you. So as humans, I think part of what, you know, what we see and what's going on is we're, we're living in a world of people who are triggered in this way, in, in really a terrorizing sort of triggering. And so that takes the discussions to a level that's no longer just, you know, data going out and being sifted. It's now super emotional and emotionalized because your brain is saying, 
everything about this is a life or death decision. Okay. So that's, I took the time to go through that because I think that, you know, if you're still listening at this point, we've all seen this and we've all probably at one point, you know, and, and, and I'm sure, you know, people listening is a array of people on different sides of the coin and all that. That's great. So we're, we're humans. Uh, but I'm sure at one point, you know, even the most ardent supporters of one view or another have said, wow, that, you know, that discussion went to, you know, a place I didn't think it was going to go or gee, somebody, you know, I expressed my opinion about something and someone attacked me in such a vicious way um, that, you know, I, uh, I wasn't seeing that coming. Um, and, and we're, we're seeing that happen a lot. And that's always happened. Right. And you, if you subtract the trolls from the world, it still happens. Right. Cause you, you say the wrong thing that the other person really doesn't like, and you're going to, you know, if they, if they want to yell back at you, they will. Uh, in this case though, you, what you have is this deep seated part of us that is, uh, you know, in our threat centers. And so they're ready to go because we're waiting for this attack and it doesn't matter whether it's someone saying something that we don't like or whatever. And so people are, uh, you know, it takes them to a heightened state. What I want to do is just take a few minutes uh, to talk about uh, some of the big back and forth, you know, uh, what I would call, you know, the, the uh, polarizing things that I've seen. Um, and uh, then um, talk about, what is one way to sort of take a breath and step back? And, and if you haven't maybe decided or if you're confused now because, geez, they were saying this and now they're saying something that seems totally opposite, um, what's one way to maybe uh, take that level of, of threat and fear and terror out of it? Okay. And one thing I will say, uh, there there's always, you know, very good, decent discussion that has multiple points of view. It should, because everything, you know, pretty much has some texture and some subtlety to it and all that stuff. And so there should always be, you know, you should try and look at things from all sides and, uh, you know, kind of get your own, you know, opinion that's grounded from looking at it, not just from one particular narrow point of view, certainly. But another thing that I believe in my opinion is that's happening, and this has always gone on for as long as there's been humans, but especially in the age of uh, social media and, and ease of access of information and stuff, there's a lot of both unintended and intended messaging that goes out that is aimed at the message coded in fear. And fear goes, to the threat centers and is perceived. And so if the fear is about this side of the argument about whatever, and or it's the other side, it, it triggers us immediately. And then what happens is we tend to then gravitate to the side of the argument that makes us feel better or that we believe to be the more true side or whatever it is. Um, and, and that's totally reasonable and rational. The second step that I see that's going on that I, you know, I wish wasn't going on, uh, but again, it's kind of human nature is that then you, you demonize the other, the other side. So once you gravitate towards a side uh, of an issue, that's fine. You can, 
kind of live with that and be it and stay there. Uh, but neurologically, you unless you have a lot of foresight and insight and thought, um, it's easy to then say, well, if I've chosen this side, the other people must be out of their mind and crazy and whatever. And that's also okay, because uh, that's your own personal opinion. But what happens nowadays, if you watch, is then that is reflected back, you know, verbally or in writing or in posts or whatever. And so it's, it, it becomes extremely contentious. And then people who aren't really into all that contention, which is getting to be more and more people, I think, uh, sit back and look and say, wow, this, you know, I don't even want to think about this anymore because it's like both sides seem insane at this point. Well, it's because it's, 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 uh, it's being filtered through our, our threat centers, you know, in our nervous system. So just what are some things that, uh, we've, we've seen that, uh, uh, we've we've had a lot of information from both sides of the coin now i'm going to tell you just from uh, at the get-go of these topics for the most part uh i am certainly not going to tell if 100 percent not going to tell anybody what they should think or believe or whatever that's up to you to figure out uh i think you should have good resources and whatever but i want to talk about these things just from the point of view of uh, being an example of what i've just talked about well um, if you look, um, one is, uh, is the virus airborne or not? Okay. Well, um, you know, to the degree that we know, at least in the initial phases, it appeared, yes, it would be airborne. That makes a bit of sense because other viruses of this type are, but then uh, you go down the road and you see, you know, this sort of, so we, we all started out with, well, probably it's, you know, somewhat air. I mean, there's different levels of airborne viruses, but probably it's somewhat airborne. And then you've got people, uh, you know, publishing things that come out that are, you know, moving the needle in both directions. And some saying, oh, it's for sure airborne. Some saying it's for sure, you know, really low level or not airborne. And then more and more of that comes out. Well, part of that, and you say that about this whole list, is as science is done and emerges, science is always trying to uh, disprove its own hypothesis. So if your hypothesis is, you know, that it's airborne at this level, you do things to uh, show that, you know, you're wrong. And when you prove yourself not wrong, then, you know, you... You published it. Well, I guess that was an okay idea. Um, so you're seeing a lot of that too. And in the again, this goes back to my thing I say at every program. You don't call the outcome of a game in the first few minutes of a game. Well, in in the way science is done, the way science goes out to the world, you don't say this is the truth and it is settled. You don't have settled science. That's a that's a stupid term for the most part because science evolves and it keeps going. We, we know different stuff than we did three weeks ago and three years ago and 30 years ago and 300 years ago. We just know different stuff. And some stuff that we used to think was completely crazy is now just mainstream and that's how it works. And some stuff we thought was mainstream for a while was completely crazy. And now it's mainstream again. Like that's just the way that things go people because of the ability to see science happening in front of them in real time and publications coming out and everyone, you know, post them. It's like, bam, 
you know, oh, that new, that new study moved the needle over here, so that must be true. And then we see those three other studies that move the needle back this way. So that's how this stuff happens. For example, with, is it airborne? How's, how's the surface transmission? How's the skin transmission? Stuff like that. Another one uh, that is uh, very interesting, and this, out, this outlines something that's another uh, issue around science that just happens and has to be weeded out and cleaned up and stuff, uh, is the uh, malaria drug family, hydroxychloroquine, we talked about that a long time ago, uh, from the Sincona alkaloid family of drugs. Originally, it was like, well, this is a great idea. Uh, and then it was like, oh, no, it's a very, very bad idea. Look at these studies. And then they found out that the main studies saying that hydroxychloroquine was a bad idea uh, were actually using data that was totally nonsense data. And so somewhere along the line in, you know, some researcher in charge of uh, the, the main data stream didn't vet it the way they were, you know, normally supposed to or whatever, because Another thing that happens when you have an emerging disease, you get emerging science, it goes, it's pushed through more quickly. So the things you might do as counterbalances may not get done to the depth you normally would. So suddenly we've got these two big in New England Journal and another one that, uh, you know, were really damning hydroxychloroquine and found out both of their data sources were junk. It was just complete. Meh. So then, you know, you get other stuff that comes out and, and, and that one, the embers are sort of dying down on that one. So it's, it's there. But if you only caught the first part of the game or the middle part, you would think, Oh, it's great. Or, Oh, it's horrible. And uh, both, you know, need to sort of be sifted through, right? Again, early in the game to be calling stuff like that. That's a big one. The other one that's uh, I, I just think is hilarious because uh, of my personal involvement is uh, initially uh, the, CDC and government agencies and stuff were putting out things in the mainstream uh, news medical correspondents primarily were, were saying what, you know, what CDC was saying. And it was, no, don't, don't take nutrients. There's no nutrients that can help you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you look, you know, fast forward to the last couple of weeks and you have the CDC actually putting out things saying, Hey, look, we, you know, we're not sure how to deal with this. Uh, these nutrients aren't going to hurt you, right? That's unusual for the CDC. Yeah, they've done it before, but it's unusual. So that's an important thing to consider, like that in the beginning, and I, I literally remember watching um, three or four different news. Uh, I, I limited my, my exposure, but just their medical experts, okay? Usually the, the MDs that work for the news shows that they're, they're all great people. But they all had the same script and they all listed, you know, things uh, and said, this is all bunk and it's a bunch of shit. And, you know, they didn't say shit, of course, but, uh, but, you know, basically don't, don't believe this. There's nothing that can help you here. And, and then, you know, turn around like six, eight weeks later and the CDC, yeah, this is actually not a bad idea. We probably should consider this. Right. Um, and, and the, the inside part of that, that, that most of you didn't watch occurring is in the very early days and, you know, late February, early March, the CDC actually has experts that do these little videos that are really awesome. I, I've recommended them in previous videos uh, or previous podcasts, but um, they have some great, great things. And in the early days, they, they were talking about things such as like zinc and how does that work in, you know, blocking um, viral replication, all this stuff. And, and some of the other things, you know, so it's sort of like they started kind of just 
you know, with the basic science that we understand about that and put it in the mix, then it became kind of not really politicized, but it became sensationalized and it was a bad thing. And then suddenly it's like, no, this is actually not a bad, bad idea. So that was sort of a hilarious thing. Uh, another one uh, that we talked about a little bit, and I've done a lot of professional side uh, information and education on is around vitamin C because because partly because of what we do in this country, but largely because the expert panel from Shanghai that was dealing with the, in Wuhan uh, started to do intravenous vitamin C in the hospital with certain groups of people who were really bad. And it turned out it was uh, fairly, uh, it shortened their hot days and, you know, they didn't have any fatalities in the initial group. So that got everyone's attention. So it was like, that was actual real world experience, you know, a lot of anecdotes put together, but real world experience uh, that they, that they've published and put out. Um, and then there are many other things. There's experts in this country and hospitals doing that and stuff like that. And um, so that, you know, became, it's, it's not super mainstream in this country, although there's a lot of individual hospitals using it. And uh, the publication that I did was specifically to, to fast track the protocol uh, or protocols so that the hospitals had public access and open access to it if they want. And they're, they're using either, either mine or, or some of the other uh, experts who do this stuff or their own version of it. Uh, And that's great. Okay. As recently as this week, I think it was, there was this big, um, it was not really a scientific piece, okay? This is more of a journalistic hit piece, which is, that's been in journalism as long as there's been journalism. Uh, it's just a thing that they do, and it's part of journalism. But it in it had people very upset because it was very one-sided and said vitamin C was a complete hoax and there's no science and all this stuff. And it was, it was written, it was very entertaining. I read it and um, I understand why people are upset about it because most of it was not true at all. I'm just at a place where I've seen that so often and had so many hit pieces, you know, come in that direction that I just know it's coming and I, I don't, care enough to get upset about it. But um, that's another one where it's not that the, the truth changed really, but if you suddenly read that and you were on the fence about this, as let's say topics vitamin C, uh, it could tip you over to one side of the fence or the other. Now, if the article upset you, it might just make you say, well, there probably is something to vitamin C. Uh, or if, uh, if you were on the fence and you really kind of resonated with the anti-vitamin C rhetoric, which most of it was just a bunch of bull, it was, it was, it was hilarious. And it wasn't a, a big, uh, a big outlet, a uh, big news outlet that everyone knows. Uh, but, um, if you were not wanting to believe vitamin C had any place in this, it could push you the other way. And, and the, the issue with stuff like that, especially hit pieces, is that uh, big news outlets get a lot of play. People with big audiences get a lot of play. And that's what happens to shift, um, you know, public opinion, stuff like that. The other one that we had a whole program about, so I won't go too far into it because it's scientifically, this has a lot of depth. And if you go back to the program from, I think it was two weeks ago, I'll you'll, you'll see pretty soon what I'm talking about. You can listen to that on the podcast and it'll go into it. But, uh, the, uh, the very scary fear-based things that get that posted 
well, we don't develop antibodies to COVID-19, so we won't, we'll never have immunity, uh, and it's just going to be here forever and kill everyone. That's actually not a whole true story, right? Now, there are some very well-done posts, and the science behind it is, in from my reading of what I've read, very well done, but it's when it gets sort of made public and then a twist put on it that it can be twisted in a very negative way. And that is uh, the no antibody thing is, uh, is sort of true. We, again, we're calling the game a little early in the game. We don't know long-term, but you can have, and this is, this happens with certain viruses. You can have responses where you don't have a lot of remnant antibodies, and there's a couple options. One is you can have a lot of a particular type of antibody, but not the standard ones, and the type that you have are more protective. But the other thing that I brought out in the podcast, you can go listen to it if you want, <clears throat> is about uh, T-cells or cell-mediated immunity. So if you look at the podcast and you see uh, T-cell immunity or cell-mediated, that that's the one. It's two or three weeks ago. Um, the important part about that is you have multiple parts of your immune system and what appears in the science to be saying is maybe there is a lower antibody retention, but the T cells, the cell mediated side, which is the balance to the antibody side is actually quite well equipped to keep memory against it. So if I only tell you about one part of your immune system and tell you the story that there's not likely antibody memory, that might be partly true or true or whatever. We won't know till we do a lot more research, but I'm only telling you half the story. And that is incredibly important that uh, somebody tell you, right? And a lot of the posts and uh, the way that the science gets reported, most of them don't give you that bigger picture, okay? And partly it's because we knew about antibody stuff and maybe we knew about the cell-mediated side a little bit, you know, after or before or whatever. Uh, but at this point, we know both sides and we need to be intellectually honest and say what we know now, which could totally be different two years from now, part of your immune system has parts and part does a really good job seemingly with memory for uh, this virus. And the other part maybe doesn't, but they talk to each other. And if you get exposed to the virus again, the way the immune system works, we don't have a big research project on this, but unless the immune system stops working the way it is supposed to, if one side has this memory, then the other side will hear about it and respond, especially the cell-mediated side that appears to have the memory. So this no antibody thing may turn out to be true, may be part true, or maybe, you know, we'll find out we were wrong, but that's not the whole story. So again, you've got this big dichotomy and people are really worried about it, making decisions, and it's like you're, you're making decisions based on a piece of a puzzle and somebody's not telling you the rest of the story. That's super important. I think that's, you know, very, very critical. Um, other things uh, just on the list, and again, I'm not going to give you like uh, final truth. God, I wish I had final truth on anything, but I don't. Uh, but uh, the virus, you know, is, uh, uh, is it engineered or not? Now, there's different levels of engineering. There's engineering that goes on with viruses when they go out into different animals and come back to humans. Uh, that is natural viral response, okay? So like you you hear something called like the bird flu or the swine flu, 
he gets called that because that's a population of animals that went into and mutated and then came back to us and we didn't know about the mutation we get sick with it right so there's sort of normal bioengineering that that's how viruses mutate and go on the coronavirus family is you know is a, a lot of, of viri and um uh they they can do this all, all viruses can do this um but you see what i find really curious uh although i think it's uh normal human nature because it's sensationalized is on the same day in the same list of you know posts on your favorite social media place one will be it's proven now uh there's no way this could be an engineered virus and then you know three lines down on your feed is all the information leading to why it was an engineered virus bioengineered virus we we someone might know the answer to this but we don't generally know the answer to this in in the bigger picture and so these are sort of things that that doesn't help you to know one side or the other at the moment anyway doesn't change your threat level so these are things in my mind uh, looking at them just logically you hold kind of in an open uh, way and you think eh, you know I, i'm going to keep reading and i see the dichotomy and i see you know if anyone again is making firm statements it's it's for sure engineered it's for sure not um they're assuming a bunch of things and that's you know assuming is is not great for uh, communication uh and, and making decisions um you know we talked about how masks are what they are and, and of course you know masks are an interesting uh, concept because they they become very emotionalized as far as the fights about them but um you know, if uh, a mass generally, now there are masks that are biohazard, you know, viral blocking and everything. Most people aren't wearing those. Okay. So if you're going into a, a, a biohazard lab, you're going to wear a certain kind of mask so, so you don't die. Those, you know, protect you from stuff coming into you. A lot of the masks that are worn have one benefit that we do know about, which is they at least stop the respiratory droplets from me going out. So I always think of if I put a mask on when I go in with people, um, it's the same as when I would put a mask on and I go in to uh, operate on a patient. I'm putting the mask on to keep my whatever I got going on from getting into the patient when I cut them open. Uh, and uh, in if I have something going on and I'm around a, a patient and they don't need, you know, what's going on in my respiratory system uh, and they're immune compromised, the mask is there for uh, their protection from me. Okay. So masks are, uh, you can get into a lot of minutia with masks, but you got to go with what you know, but also what kind of mask is it? How, how is it supposed to work? Is it, is it working right? Et cetera. A lot going on, but I'm about to get the hook here, uh, as it were, uh, for the vaudeville hook. Uh, and um, maybe you thought that's what we were doing today, but uh, just uh, in the last minute and a quarter here that I have, uh, just a couple of ideas. And this is what I do to recenter myself. The first thing is start with what makes sense logically, and think beyond what what you're being told and bombarded with. Think beyond the headlines. Just step back and say, okay, at the base, what can a mass do for someone else. Well, it can keep my spit from going out on the other people. That might be good. Um, if you have time and you're inclined and you're really bothered or concerned about a topic, try and look at as many sides of the argument as you can. And what you'll find is there's some crossover 
and sometimes when there's two, three, four sides to an argument, reality is somewhere in the middle of those sides. And, and you'll see that in science where they've looked at it from two, three, four different ways and they prove points, but all the points lead to a place in the middle. So consider that, consider looking at the sides. The other thing you really have to do is consider the source and consider how hyped it is and how uh, salacious the headline is or whatever. And if it's a hit piece, it's just a hit piece and be entertained by the hit piece and either write him an editorial letter or move on. But we are uh, out of time for today. Dr. Paul Anderson, Medicine Health with Dr. Paul Anderson. Uh, people have asked me about the, the books behind me that I wrote and the new ones coming out. Uh, drabooks.com, drabooks.com, just drabooks.com. And uh, that's got information on the two uh, books that are out and the third one that's coming. And I'd love for you to check that out. The web team got that set up. But it's time for us to end today. Medicine Health with Dr. Paul Anderson. It's been great talking to you. And I'll see you on the podcast anytime or next week on the radio. Thank you. You've been listening to Medicine and Health with your host, Dr. Paul Anderson. Visit the clinic website at www.amsa1.com or call the clinic at 206-629-2186.